0: Pod. Pod. Welcome back to say who say Pod. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. Washington's roster is growing, Danny. They just might have a football team this fall. Believe it or not. Any offensive
1: lineman? Because that's the spot that I've come to to focus on and realize that we might have a problem in terms of the the big hog mollies up front.
0: That is the TBD. Uh, I think you're going to have to wait for the the spring portal window um, to see the offensive line restocked. I'm I'm curious to see who will be available. That's usually not as bountiful of a time for talent. Usually that happens in the uh, the winter window. So we'll see that's they're going to. That's that's the only way to do it. So
1: it's not usually as bountiful of a time of the harvest of the talent, but it is the only window to which Jed Fish and his, his coaches will have to their avail.
0: Traditionally, the portal provides <laughs> plenty in December. Uh, not a lot in there right now in terms of offensive and, and defensive linemen, so that that's going to probably have to wait till the spring, but they're up to, and it's, It's tough to pin down because they still got a couple guys who are in the portal, but maybe leaning toward coming back, especially in that 2024 class. I have them right around 69 or 70 scholarships committed for 2024. And that number could change if a couple guys make some decisions here. Um, A big, big get really big get is uh, the Cal transfer Jeremiah Hunter who had committed to the previous staff to transfer in um, just before the sugar bowl. Hadn't heard really anything from him on social media. I don't he didn't have to go back in the portal or anything because he never actually enrolled and they never announced him. Um, But he he tweeted on Tuesday confirming he'll be back. uh, Excuse me. Basically he is still coming to Washington. Um, so that gives them a, a big number one receiver target. They've got their starting quarterback, obviously, in, in Will Rogers. Um, they've got Jonah Coleman coming in. Uh, you assume he'll be their lead back, but Cam Davis um, coming off injury, he'll compete for snaps too. It seems like at the offensive skill positions, they've at least got like a go-to guy at each of them. Jeremiah Hunter coming back gives them that. So a um, handful of other other personnel Uh, news and movement landon Hatchett decided to stay at washington garen Hatchett, of course decided to transfer he's headed to oklahoma um ephesians price the big talented corner from arizona transferring to washington what a great name by the way um davis washington's 2024 quarterback signee had gone in the portal he is now staying in washington uh, i would imagine at least through the spring a defensive back named raheem wright was in Arizona's 2024 class and flipped to Washington. Um, Justin Halkima, or Hilkema, uh, apologies if, if I'm not pronouncing that correctly, a 2024 offensive line recruit. So an O-lineman, but 2024, maybe for the future. Uh, big six eight tackle. He committed to Washington. Tybo Rogers, Washington running back, had gone to the transfer portal. He's staying at Washington. Brian Parham, uh, senior linebacker transfer from San Jose State, their leading tackler last year. He's transferring to Washington. Um, And then you've got a a handful of guys like uh, Edge Rusher, Isaiah Ward from Arizona, uh, who's who's a name to watch, who has visited Washington. Rashawn Clark, a local DB recruit who had committed to Arizona. He visited Washington. Seems like he'll be making his his mind up soon. Audric Harris, another 2024 recruit for Arizona receiver out of Bishop Gorman who's looking at Washington. Ja'Cory Krosky Merritt. A uh, thousand-yard rusher at New Mexico last year who's in the transfer portal. He visited, posted a picture from his visit. Uh, maybe they they add some more depth to their, their running back room there. And then uh, a couple guys, Peyton Waters and Pocky Finau from Washington's 2024 class who had uh, asked out of their letters slash uh, decommitted 24-7 sports reported both those guys maybe leaning toward coming back. So a lot of movement. I'm sure, there'll be more. They lost a player to the portal, Jalen Clem, offensive lineman who transferred in from Kansas State last year. Kind of weird timing on that one. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how that ends up. But they're uh, they're getting guys. They're they're working back toward that eighty five number. We'll see if they get there. But uh, they they have more players available than they did a week ago.
1: On the offensive line, you had both the tackles Rosengarten Garten and Finau, who are are. In the NFL draft. They're they're moving on. Then you've had th- three, four. You've had four other offensive linemen who have now entered the transfer portal and indicated they're going. Parker Brailsford to Alabama, Calepo and Buelo to Ole Miss and Garen Hatchett to Oklahoma.
0: All to the SEC. Is,
1: is that movement... Reflective of how good Scott Huff was and that once Huff went with. Because usually, and I guess this isn't. I think of the transfer portal as more of a place for skill position players to find that that I feel that the impact players that are usually available there are your quarterbacks, your running backs and your wide receivers. Um, and obviously there, there are linemen that transfer. Too, but generally, that's they're looking for a spot to be showcased in a way they weren't before. Whereas, offensive line, a higher emphasis on, on continuity. How do you sort of big picture sense look at what's happened on Washington's offensive line, which was clearly a strength of their team last season? They win the Joe Moore Award. What's happened to there?
0: Yeah, I mean, start with coleppo and bulo who only have one year of eligibility Mm -hmm. left each there's some urgency for those guys um they've been through this would be their third head coach um they've excuse me their their fourth this would this would be their fourth head coach they'd played for if they'd stuck around i think you look at that and knowing you only have one year left it's like well do i want to Go through the fresh start again here, not even knowing what the roster is going to look like. I mean, again, I've said this a million times, but it bears repeating it. It was going to take a lift for them to get back to like a 9-10 win level next year, even if nobody transferred out, just based on what they were losing to graduation and and the draft. Um, So now your head coach is gone. Your position coach, who's been the one constant this whole time, who recruited you and has been there through all these changes, is gone and you've got one year left after you just played for a team that played in the national championship game. So you got that taste. You know what that feels like to compete at that level. What gives you the best chance to do that? It probably isn't staying at Washington. Mm -hmm. So if that's your priority, and as a big senior experienced offensive lineman who just started and played a bunch of games, played a ton of snaps on a big stage for a group that won the Joe Moore Award, you're probably gonna, you know, there's gonna be a market for your services, um, mm-hmm. both in terms of just pure interest and and finances. I would imagine, and that's not to suggest that that wouldn't have been there at Washington either. But you know, look at Ole Miss. Um, they were a, did they finish in the top ten? Either a top ten team or a fringe top ten team this year. They got a lot coming back. Lane Kiffin's been very active in the portal again. They got a lot of talent coming in, like. That's a good team. That's a good program. You got, you've got a shot, especially in the twelve-team playoff. Like you've got a shot to, to go for it all there. Maybe not win a national title, but at least like compete to be in that conversation. So you only got one year left. Like I, it makes sense to me. Like it's logical that you would roll the dice on a new situation where there's a little more like proven skill and an actual roster existing um, than you know trying it again at, at Washington. And that's not to say like. Washington still can't put together a a team that can be competitive and, you know, be over 500 and go to a bowl game and all those things. It's not like they're, they're destined to just be awful next year, but in terms of being a playoff contender, like I could see feeling like Ole Miss gives you a, a better path to that. You know, Parker Brailsford got the chance to go to Alabama. Um, and, and, and he gets to play for his position coach who recruited him head coach, same coaching staff a little bit. So, um, that that makes sense to me, too. Um, Garen Hatchett, you know, I, I had my exit interview with him. Uh, hopefully people saw it at, at on Montlake.com. He went in depth on his decision. He just said, hey, you know, I, I've got two years left. I made the decision that I felt was going to best develop me for the next level. He obviously has a relationship with Oklahoma dating back to his high school recruiting. They were his first offer. They were in there, you know, right in the same timeline Washington was um, pushing hard for him. Bill Bedenboe. Their offensive line coach has been there a really long time. He has a relationship with him. He's developed a bunch of guys. That was that was kind of his rationale. So um, I, I maybe I said this last week too, but like it's a chicken or the egg thing with with a, a roster transition like this, where you need a bunch of really good guys to stay to to get more talent to agree to stay and and come in, but you need that core. First, and when there's twenty guys kind of looking around, like uh, who's going to be here, who's going to not, um, you know, it's that's a hard sell for some.
1: I have an idealized way that I think I should feel about things or criteria, which partly is reflected in my attempts to come up with guides to how uh, to be an ethical college football fan, and then I have the visceral gut reaction. And as you're talking, I know that my how i think i should react is to be completely understanding of yes of course a player should look at where i have the chance to win the most games next season like that that and and the idea that well do i want to do i want to be here as sort of the tide recedes a little bit uh when i do have an opportunity to go and and play in at ole miss and potentially compete for uh Conference title there. I totally, I, I realize that that's what I've said. I should feel that the appropriate way is to say, "Hey, people do what's in their own self interest all the time, and college football players should be no different. Whether it is the NIL earnings that they can they can gain, or it then there's also part of me is like, Oh, but I didn't think it was going to happen on the offensive line. Quite like that. (laughs) Like the offensive line are kind of there. You you
0: guys got to stay.
1: There's a salt to the earth guys. This is. And honestly, when I think of Washington offensive lineman, the guy that I think of is Frank Garcia, because he was one of the big, angry, mean offensive linemen at the university of Washington. When I first came there and, and I remember, uh, Hearing a story, and I don't know if it's true or not, about, about Frank Garcia, basically someone trying to elbow their or push their way through past him at a frat party, and Frank just deciding that he was going to uh not uh move and 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 basically the the guy ended up falling over because Frank wouldn't move. Like just kind of a ordinary cuss. That's what your offensive linemen are. I don't right? like the Frank Garcias of that type are like coaches come, coaches go the sterliness of Washington's offensive line will always remain. That's an outdated model. And, and I say that Frank was a really good football player. And, and I have no reason to think that he was anything other than just an ordinary tough football player. And when you start to see some of the realities of how the transfers play out, it is, it, it's interesting. Washington got the benefit last year of a lot of players deciding that they would come back for a season in which I, I mean, I thought Romo Dunze, I thought he was going to leave for the NFL. And given where it looks like he's going to be picked now. There's part of me that thinks, man, like that idea that he was going in the second or third round was was really conservative. And by the time it got through it, he would have been a first round pick a year ago. And if that was the case, if he knew that was going to be the case, I'm not sure if he's sticking around. Washington got the benefit of a lot of guys choosing to come back. And now they're sort of paying the price for that. And but it's it's a different way to it's different thinking about college football through that lens. It's it's a much different way. This is usually what happens to Super Bowl teams in free agency. This is in the NFL. A team makes the Super Bowl and all of a sudden all their parts become more valuable because everybody wants a piece. And like, oh, this guy played a role on this team that reached this success. And in, in college football, they I mean, the contractual elements, I guess they're not totally non-existent. Though the NCAA seems to be taking a scrutinizing eye to some of those con- contractual arrangements, but you do have an opportunity to choose so so I realize what i 'm basically what i 'm saying christian is i 'm a hypocrite because i 'm feeling different than I think I should feel
0: speaking of the end you mentioned the nCAA did you know that that some of these schools are arranging to have some of these players paid <laughs> dude
1: there was I think it. I think it's the case involving Tennessee, mm-hmm. where there was a a law firm released a statement yesterday. I, I think this is the most wildly hilarious. That's uh,
0: their uh, that's their big collective, Spire Sports, right?
1: Basically saying we agreed to pay him with the understanding we'd pay him no matter where he went. Yeah, I know, but I but, love that. But, but you're the official <laughs> collective of the school, right?
0: this was not an inducement Come on, like,
1: <laughs> and there's there's part of me that just thinks that this is that no one should take these things seriously because it is wildly absurd the idea that the ncaa is investigating this stuff is hilarious to me um i i don't but that's that's kind of the result of a system that is professional but not professional Right. Like that's they've come up with a half measure that is going to create as many problems as it solves.
0: So the the Tennessee thing was a big story uh, when I was at the Athletic. David Ubbin did a really good job reporting on it. Um, It involves their star quarterback recruit, Nico Yamalavea, who supposedly signed a contract worth about eight million uh, dollars for his rights to his NIL coming out of high school. And that's what that was the big deal that prompted at the time it was like for a five for a a five-star quarterback recruit at a school signed this deal and everyone knew it was Tennessee and everyone knew it was Nico um and that that kind of set the conversation for like well wait a second are collect you know which schools and which collectives are going to pay high school kids because you're not supposed to do that and is that really the right investment? And you know, are you gonna uh, are, are boosters who spend two million dollars to essentially you know to induce a prospect to come to their school, and then the prospect doesn't work out? How's that going to play out? Is this really the road we want to go down? This is the this is the story. This is the player that kind of like sparked that conversation. And you should go read if you if you have a subscription to the Athletic David Ubbin's story from a couple years ago talking to the people in charge of Spire Sports, Tennessee's collective, who are just, I mean, they might as well have painted it on their chests and like conducted a rally on a freeway saying, we are buying a recruiting class. I mean, just Mm -hmm. flat out, I think the the term war chest was used. Like, we plan to spend this much money on our recruiting class this year. We're going to be as competitive as anybody. And, And so it's like, Tennessee, you know, I don't want to defend the NCAA at all. So like Tennessee's chancellor coming out and saying like, this is ridiculous. The NCAA has offered like terrible guidelines and blah, blah, blah. Like, dude, in any version of NIL. The written rules have always said you're not supposed to do this, <laughs> right? Like, I, can we really have sympathy for the collective that has been the one collective that's been out front, saying, just basically, just shouting from the rooftops, "This is what we're doing. We don't care."
1: But you're basically asking them to be a little more subtle about what they're doing, which to me, well, that's a good is, point. I have zero sympathy for Tennessee's collective at all. I, I don't I don't care if they get thrown in the NCAA who scow or whatever happens. I don't give a rip. I also think it is the most college football thing ever that the message of is, come on, be a little less obvious. You can't do it like that. It's very clear that NIL has opened the door toward marketing deals for players. And now the NCAA, similar to what it used to say, which is, but you can't give inducements for them to actually come to your school. Like you can't, you can't do any of the other stuff. You can give them a training tape. It's trying to limit it. And look, there's a line by uh, Mob Deep, which is, ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. And that is exactly how I feel about College football players being compensated for their play. It's really hard to have halfway pro. I I I don't I don't know how you do it. How do you divorce the fact that you're paying players for how well they perform from the fact that you're play paying players for how well they performed? Like it's there's this sort of like, oh, just just be a little come on, be a little less obvious. You can't say war chest. And it's It's really funny. Um, I find it deeply amusing. And theres I don't really have sympathy for anybody in in any regard to it. I, I think the NCAA has had 25 years to come up with better solutions. And at every turn, they've sought to hold on to the existing arrangement, even while all the conferences and all the programs have been at every turn seeking to increase the amount of money they make from from the sport of college football and then they turn around and say oh, but you guys are student athletes like there was there was an interview i thought this interview was recent but it's not joel klatt talked to rob petiti who's the new big 10 commissioner um or how new is he is he like took over within the last year he replaced the guy that's now the president of the yeah Capitol within Island. the last uh, tony petiti right Tony Petiti, yes, Um, sat down with Tony Petiti and talked to Petiti about his history. And one of the things Petiti was involved in the BCS and the formation of the BCS. And in the interview, he explained how when they realized that the Big Ten and Pac 12, but I think then it was the Pac 10 were considering letting go of their affiliation with the Rose Bowl, that he saw this as a huge opportunity. And I was like, that fact right there tells you everything you need to know about the direction and who has sort of made the moves that have changed the shape of college football. Which is, how can we erase the tradition so we can make the most money possible? That's not a wrong or a bad, but it's a very capitalist approach, and and the problem, the at the core. The, the tension that exists here is that the NCAA tries to, and college football in general tries to do that with the sport and then says to the players, but no, no, this is just amateur sports. And, and that's when the NCAA comes and cracks down on Tennessee's collectors. Like you guys can't do it that way. It's like, okay, you're just, you're trying to keep the toothpaste in the tube. And I'm telling you the two toothpaste is going to come out. It's going to come out one way or the other.
0: We should clarify too. Um, this is couched with the the verbiage, among other things. So it's not, not, to, su- not to suggest this is the, the only thing they're investigating for. But the only detail, Danny, in the New York Times story about this investigation is that the inquiry is looking at, among other things, the group's role in flying a high-profile recruit to campus on a private jet while the football team was wooing him. So um, you can sign a high school kid to an $8 million contract, but do not fly him on a private jet to his recruiting visit
1: is the kid any good
0: um we don't really know yet he did play this year he was a true freshman this year um so
1: so you don't really have a chance to evaluate if he's worth it Uh, because i'm i the the thing that I wouldn't say I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to it in a con, entirely conceptual idea. I don't want kids to fail or anything like that, but I do look forward to the first time it happens where somebody gives a massive, a massive NIL deal that is all locked in and, and then they get sued cause they stop paying it. Cause the kid doesn't turn out to be as good as they think he's going to be. I, I do just conceptually. I look forward to that.
0: Moment. Oh, I'm, I'm certain that's happening. It has to be. Um, he is, I mean, very much believed to be the real deal. He was the number two overall recruit in his class, uh, in 2023. Um, yeah, I think he, behind
1: Arch Manning.
0: Yeah, very simple. I mean, Manning was number one, but like you're kind of splitting hairs at that point. Um, so he is, he is viewed as being worth it. Like that, that's the, that's the caliber of prospect you would spend that kind of money on. Um, or at least Tennessee would, uh, man, it's, the wild world I, I also should say like i listening to uh, the split zone duo podcast and and following alex Kirshner on twitter i think they that group has a very clear-eyed view of all this he makes a good point that we need to stop referring to collective payment as NIL it is not NIL it's mm-hmm. it's third party compensation. I think is the term he uses, um, and that's yeah. far more accurate. I say that free of like judgment of virtue or or non virtue or anything. That's just a fact. Like nil is, hey, I'm a company and I want to sell a product. Michael Penix Jr., you want to come film a commercial and pitch it for us? Like that is leveraging your nil in exchange for compensation. The booster collectives, um, they're just paying kids and the NCAA has done nothing to create an environment where that shouldn't be the case. So, you know, I say that completely free of judgment, but in, in terms of semantics, uh, it really isn't NIL. It, it is not really sponsorships, even if some sponsorships end up coming out of it, uh, back to your point about the feeling some kind of way about losing offensive linemen. I believe our, uh, our friend of the show has a question that dovetails into, into the, the ethical, uh, the ethical fans dilemma
2: Danny I I I did it too obviously on on a more limited basis I I I I did it with my voice and and not with the written word but we both went a little Michigan liberal arts high and mighty with our non-judgmental takes on on players entering the transfer portal um last week and then on saturday less than 48 hours after you hit publish Jabbar muhammad transferred to oregon and you know we knew he was transferring and you know i'm thankful for the year he he had i knew he wasn't coming back but oregon i don't have to be a grown-up about somebody transferring to Oregon, right? I can just be completely petty and childish in this case, right? I won't go to Twitter because, you know, tweeting at athletes in general is is weird. But, you know, I'm not going to like it. Anyway, (laughs) hope you guys have a good week. Go dogs!
0: You heard it here first, folks, from Ian McFarlane. Washington will not be a winner next year. Oh. What are we say at the, you, Danny?
1: Are, 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 are we at the point where we're going to project Are they look like a seven-win team, they look like an eight-win team? Are we going to wait for that?
0: No, not until there's more players on the right. roster. <laughs>
1: um, I hope that Jabbar Muhammad... I'm really grateful for the time Jabbar Muhammad spent, and I thought he was a great player, I hope. I'm really grateful for the season that Jabbar Muhammad provided and how well he played cornerback for the University of Washington. The end. That's it. <laughs> no, I... So Here's, this the thing. Is... Here's
0: the thing. We were doing this podcast when Taki Taimani left Washington for Oregon, and I seem to remember you having a pretty pragmatic non uh not not all that passionate opinion of it is is it different with Jabbar muhammad because he's better
1: um maybe i think it's also that the the circumstances have changed and it's also that i'm a hypocrite and no matter how well thought out you think your approach is sometimes that doesn't Coincide with your feelings. It when Taki Taimani transferred, and I I specifically remember some of the reaction that I saw to that and how people talked about the player on online. Like that made me mad. I was like, he has every right to move. This this season was a dumpster fire. The person that was put in charge as the head coach has absolutely steered this program into a ditch. And if he takes a look and decides that, that I'd I'd rather play five hours down I-5, I, I'm I'm not gonna hold it against. I I hey, go ahead and do it. The fact that Washington beat Oregon the last three times they've played and the fact of where they finished this year and then going to Oregon Strikes me, it makes me feel that it's a different situation with Jabbar Muhammad, even though I know, looking at it from a dispassionate perspective, hey, he transferred to to Washington from Oklahoma State because he wanted a better opportunity. What makes you think he's not going to pogo stick as soon as there's nothing about that his approach that's inconsistent at all? The person who's inconsistent here is me. There is still that feeling of, hey, Oregon is Washington's biggest rival. And a huge part of the satisfaction I felt in that this last season. Did I enjoy the two wins over Oregon more than I enjoyed the victory in the Sugar Bowl? Yeah, I think I did. I loved I, I had that game against Texas was emotional. It was this great trip, but I love that. And this doesn't change any of that, but it feels a little different. And that might just reflect my hypocrisy or the feelings that any, any fans have. But that's how I look at it. I understand logically why this shouldn't make any difference to me. But it feels different. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's, uh, I thought all signs were pointing toward him winding up at Texas,
1: which would have been so much better. (laughs) He's from Texas. He played against Texas. Go kill it, Jabbar. Go. I would be a Jabbar Muhammad fan. I would be cheering for him. And instead, I'm just going to be, I'm not going to, I'm not going to root against him. I'm not going to, I won't go that far, but I can't say I hope he plays really well and has a great season for Oregon. Sorry. (laughs)
0: Um, I can't do it. Obviously, I yeah wish him all the the best. I have no, I don't, I don't care where these. I don't guys wish go him bad. Personally. I don't wish but, him bad. Um, it did. It it seemed like, like it was going to be. I think like seemed like it was going to be this pretty cool thing. He was going to go to Texas and, and maybe start opposite his cousin. Uh you're going to have the Muhammad cousins starting as, you know, DeSoto guys and Texas cornerbacks. Like, how cool would that have been? You know. So, um, but hey, it Oregon's. Really good. I saw Stuart Mandel had them at his number four, way too early preseason top 25 team. So, you know, again, if you're looking to play for a winner like that's uh, that's in the that's in the that category. And as as Ian said, his words, not mine. Um, you know, Oregon fits that description, implying that the Washington doesn't. So direct direct all of your angry DMS to uh, IP McFarlane. Who's going to be Oregon's
1: quarterback next year? Do we know? Is it going to be the kid from Dylan Gabriel from from Oklahoma?
0: I think that's the assumption, but they also got uh, Dante Moore transferring from UCLA. Um, I would I like mean Dante Moore. You you don't go out and get Dylan Gabriel if you are not expecting him to be your starter. And and Dante Moore did play this year, so he has a red shirt available. Um, maybe he sits for one year behind Dylan Gabriel, and then he's still a, a sophomore in twenty twenty five. Maybe that's how they do it, but you know, whoever's better, I'm sure they'll go with, but I would expect it's going to be Dylan Gabriel.
1: So how hypocritical am I, Christian? Is this just a case of when I, when I didn't feel that it cost, that I could understand. And I conceded that Oregon had the higher ground in the conference. I was willing to just, Hey, kids can transfer wherever they want. You should, you shouldn't wish ill for them. And now I'm like, but we got back on top and you better not leave. How yes. big a hypocrite am I? Am I scale of one to five? Five, five being oh my god, Washington got screwed by Kalen DeBoer, and Jed Fish is the the second coming of the the most like that he the his situation in Arizona is completely not comparable to what happened to Washington. That being a five level hypocrite, I feel like I'm at like three, but maybe three and a half.
0: Yeah, no more than three, I would say. You're still pretty you you got a pretty level head about it. And here's the thing. Fans have a right to not have a level head. That's part sure. of being a fan. Um I'd I'd say you're a, you're about a two on the hypocrite scale. You wished him well. Um, uh, which I think is warranted. I like I just personally speaking, I like Jabbar Muhammad a lot. I in you know energetic guy, nice guy, friendly guy. It was so it was funny on the field uh after the the Sugar Bowl or no after the Pac 12 championship win he was like starstruck just seeing Marcus Peters on the field. Um had to go and say hi and get a picture with him. Literally I was talking to him he stopped mid interview and was like, that's Marcus Peters. Dad his dad was standing there. He's like, Dad, that's Marcus Peters. Went over and got a picture of him. It's kind of funny.
1: Marcus Peters is one of my favorite Former UW football players. Like he's one of my favorite. If you could distill the sort of gunslinger attitude of a cornerback, he he's we always talk about quarterbacks being gunslingers. That's Marcus Peters as a corner. Like that dude will play hunches. He will get torched for touchdowns and shrug his shoulders because he's like, Yep, yeah, sometimes you get beat doing what I do, and sometimes you end up picking the ball off and running it back to the end zone. I love Marcus Peters.
0: Yeah, he was uh he was around he was around uh this last year. That was one guy DeBoer brought back into the fold. I think early on they made people go like, "Oh, okay." So that's a that's a nice little inroad with the alumni. Um Any of these uh any of these incoming transfers or commitments you're you're excited about or or particularly interested to see on the field?
1: The the running back, Jonah Coleman. I'm I'm really pumped up because I. So, what are the rules for transfers? Do you have to, with not 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 logistical or or the strategic? When you get excited about a player, have you had in my mind to get excited about him? You have to have noticed that player at his prior prior stop. So, Will Rogers. I'm excited to see him play. And I think that that is uh, overall a really good sort of outcome, but I don't know much about him. I didn't watch much Mississippi state football, so I don't know a ton about him. Jonah Coleman. I do. I do. I, I have watched him. So there's kind of a, I want to see the five foot nine, 225 pound bowling bag, Jeremiah Hunter. I, I've, I've watched him play. Like I'm familiar with, I'm familiar with his game. So, And I and I am excited. I was really pumped about BJ Green because
0: BJ Green to Colorado,
1: who yeah, ended up ended up going there. Which you were kind of the 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 dash of cold water uh, a week ago. (laughs) I still remember the line you had. I have no reason to think he's still coming to Washington.
0: (laughs) You know what? I may have spoken too soon on that. It, It wasn't. I don't think it was as dead as I was. As I as I believed, I think yeah. I, I well because I kind of thought the same thing about Jeremiah Hunter. You just hadn't heard a word about him. Um, so look, I I think getting one of those two to stick around and still come to Washington is a pretty big win, honestly. For sure,
1: for sure. And that guy's potential number one receiver for you. He's going to come. It looks much different than when Jed Fish was hired. The expectation was okay. Is he going to bring Fafita and McMillan with him? And instead, they kept the quarterback that everybody thought was long gone and and the wide receiver transfer that a lot of people or that kind of paused and said well we'll see because he was coming here for the previous coaching staff
0: I don't know are you are you feeling better about the program are you ready to I I realize I just poo-pooed your idea of trying to project how many games this team might win but do you see enough on the roster to feel like you can set a floor yet for their 2024 record
1: no because I don't know who's on the offensive line as a as a Washington fan, there's nothing that's going to happen right now that's going to change sort of my allegiance or it's it's a weird thing to be a fan in that way where I look at it and I would say. I wouldn't trade anything that happened over the previous two seasons. I wouldn't give that up to be in a better position right now. I I, I wouldn't. And I think that people who feel that way are are missing or failing to to give proper like, they're not focusing on the good that came of those past two years under Kalen DeBoer and the bitterness of of how he left and feeling that he said something and did something else. He said he wanted to be here and then did what he did, showed that he, he really didn't. He wanted that. He saw this as a stepping stone, no matter how how m- true or not true that may have been. There are a lot of people that feel that way. And I, I think for good reason. Um. I'm excited to see what Jed Fish does. I I don't I don't have any sort of feeling that oh my God, the program is gonna go into this is a direction that you didn't want the program to go. I I feel like Washington is has done has put itself taken steps to compete at the upper tier level of Big Ten. SEC football that they've chosen to that they're the hiring the salary that they went out they did not go and hire somebody from a lower division or a G5 conference with the expectation is they went out and hired a guy who was pretty coveted in large part because of some of the recruiting successes he's had and 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 are have ponied up the the money to be able to play that. I'm encouraged by that how this next season whether they win six games and barely become bowl eligible or miss miss missable. We'll we'll see. I'm still excited. They're playing at Iowa. They're playing at Penn state. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to those, to those games and seeing what they put out there, but it's not a measurement of, I don't really know what to expect, man. This is a new reality in college football. It, you had no reason to think that they were going to get to the national championship game last season. And they did. And then all of a sudden the floor comes out and you're like, Oh my God, what, six of the top seven offensive linemen are gone. That's that's freaking wild.
0: The top six, in fact.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, what am I... I don't know what to expect. I'm interested to see how it turns out. I do think that it is... The perch is much more precarious these days. Once you reach those heights, I think it is... I've always thought of building a program as incremental, and you build to and get to a a foundation and then you go up a notch and you kind of stay there and then you go up a notch. And I think it's much more volatile now where there are going to be more peaks and valleys, even for a program or maybe especially for a program like Washington. I'm along for the ride. I get it. Um, But if you told me right now that they're going to go six and six this next season, or if they were going to go eight and four, yeah, I, I I think that's probably the range that I would say is a realistic expectation. But there's a lot not not to know. I, I'm we- you should just assess how crazy I am. That's basically what this this should become. Is like how how grounded in reality and how freaking Looney Tunes am I?
0: I don't think that's Looney Tunes. I was going to ask would you lock in 6 and 6 or do you think that's that's defeatist and that there's no way that should be a a record anyone would be satisfied with even with the roster overhaul they're going to have to to get done
1: I don't think there's any way to anticipate or to set because when you say they should be at least 6 and 6 that sets an expectation for the coaching staff of saying they're going to do a bad job it's possible that they could go 5 and 7 or 4 and 8 and the coaching staff does a good job. This is, and you think about the number of players that they've lost from a really good team, and specifically, they've lost them up front on the offensive line as they're going into, well, hell, throwing the defensive line as well. So, but I also wouldn't want to cap it and say, like, when Kalen DeBoer took over the job, if you have said, hey, would you lock in, would you lock in eight and six that first year? I'd be like, hell yes. They turned out better than that. I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to wait and see. I don't I don't think the template. I don't think history provides as much of an indication of what will happen as it used to because of how fluid the tra- the the transfer and the the roster changeover, and the fact that that can disappear overnight too.
0: I realize uh, we're. Nearly through a whole episode, and there's been no defensive coordinator news yet. So I'm I'm fully expecting, uh, just just based on Murphy's Law, it'll be announced sometime between when we get done recording and when this publishes on on Thursday morning. I've kind of been expecting it to be this week. Um, that's the the arrows sort of seem to be pointing toward probably an NFL hire, based on what uh, what I've been told. Jed Fish has has mentioned to some folks, so um, we'll see on that. I think the timeline. Has also pointed toward that too, right? That like we're, we've got the Super Bowl matchup now and that that hiring cycle is kind of sorting itself out. Um, But so I I just wanted to acknowledge that in case it does happen uh, between now and and when this publishes. We didn't just forget it or or choose to ignore it. It just hasn't happened yet. Um, Who knows? Maybe it'll, it'll still be next week and, and, and we don't know what we're talking about here. Um, I want to direct people. If you do subscribe to On Montlake, um, if you don't, it'd be be great if you could grab a paid subscription and check out. Uh, I did an exit interview with Fatui to a Tele that published on Tuesday. Um, I like to do these with players who are transferring, seniors who are done with their careers, um, to just kind of get some some perspective once there's a little distance from their playing days and look back and sort of assess their time at Washington and the, the pros and the cons and the highs and the lows and their own individual stories and kind of how they just, their, their college journey. And I thought Fatui had a very clear eyed perspective on college, the college football landscape. Generally that last week where they play in a championship game on Monday and the coach leaves on Friday, um, the coaching carousel in general, the impact of NIL on the sport, Um, he went into detail on, you know, and I don't think it's much secret, right? He was hurt basically his whole career, even dating back to high school. He pretty much every game I think he played in college, he played through, played through pain, had a knee surgery and an Achilles surgery and tore his triceps in fall camp in 2022, popped a hamstring on the first play of his season in 2023, um, and, and gutted through a lot and just finally decided, you know, I can't, I can't do this for one more year. Um, but a, a lot a lot there about what makes college football and um i'll just i'll read one of his read one of his his um quotes here about uh he he was talking about um the the biggest disappointment was just not getting an opportunity to celebrate the season right you come off of a a national championship loss and like the fact that you didn't win it is prevalent in your mind that first tuesday coming back from houston you're down because you you know you, you didn't finish the job but after a few days you should be able to begin to reflect on the year and and really just celebrate how great it was that you know that sting from losing in the title game is always going to be there but you know they didn't get a chance to do that because Kalen DeBoer left for Alabama that Friday um and i asked him you know do you think that once some time passes and and you do reflect on the 2023 season that you will just focus on how great it was and all these great accomplishments you had or do you think the fact that De bore left four days later will always kind of loom over that memory and he said i think as time is going on right now especially for me i'm quoting him directly here it's definitely not casting a shadow as much anymore in the moment it was during that whole week it was very much the headline especially with what a lot of people have said on twitter Husky nation and Washington football is more than a coach. It's the history. It's the culture. It's the fans. It's the players that make up Husky football. That's so true. It's more than the coaches that come and go. It's the players, the fans, the great Saturdays that really makes Husky football what it is. When I reflect on 2023, obviously there's a lot to celebrate in the season, and I'm not going to just mope over Coach DeBoer's departure when I think of it. I've got a lot of great memories that trump over that departure of his. And I think he probably speaks for a lot of players when he says that. that, you know, that just at least speaking with him and with Garen Hatchett, that really came through just that how disappointing it was to not have any sort of moment to get together, whether it's f- literally physically gathering for some sort of celebration or, or even just, you know, mentally sitting around the apartment with your your teammates, you know, just kind of talking about, wow, like what a season wasn't that so awesome? Wasn't that so great? Um, and I, you know, I think that's beyond the obvious impact of what it means to lose a head coach and a coaching staff and all the the hundreds of people that that trickles down to. Um, I think that's that's really what what prompted so many raw reactions to that.
1: I'm, first of all, the exit interviews on Montlake dot com that are published there are some of the best, and I think most thoughtful articles that I've come across. I love them. I think it's also a reflection of something that I value a great deal in journalism coverage that is not valued anymore, which is sort of the reflection and giving a chance to put into perspective rather than sort of what's next, where are you going, who's next, who are you mad at, that it's, both what Tua said and what Garen Hatchett said help us understand the players, the guys who I do think matter most in college football. Um, just in general, on montlake.com is one of the, the most uplifting and inspiring things that I've seen around sports journalism, certainly in the last 12 months, but in the last few years... I, I love I love the product you've put together, the coverage. And Grant Wistrom, when I covered the Seahawks after they lost the Super Bowl to to Pittsburgh, I talked to him the next year and he he voiced he goes, Look, if you lose the Super Bowl, I'd rather not go there. Like it just it sucks. Mm. You think about it the whole thing. And at the time, what what I thought was like that's a really sad sort of sort of reality. Like if, if you really feel that way and either as a player or as a fan, that's, that's really sad because look, your feelings aren't wrong. Like you're not, if, if, if that's, if that's how you process something and that's what sticks with you, like that's, that's how you feel. But in that sort of characteristic, okay, only one team is happy then like all of the others are, are, are bitter and the team that's most bitter is the one that came closest to being happy. I'm glad to hear and reading how, how players are processing it because like, what I'm going to remember most about the 2023 season is how emotional I was at the Sugar Bowl, how it felt when Roma Dunze caught the go-ahead touchdown against Oregon. The reaction, I'm I'm literally getting goosebumps right now. The reaction in the crowd when we realized that the field goal missed, the realization and how I felt the night that they beat Oregon in the in the Pac-Twelve championship game, how damn fun that team was to watch, and how they, freaking, they beat Arizona State in a game where the game-winning touchdown was scored by a cornerback. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I mean, there was some ridiculous stuff that happened this season. That freaking, was it a, is it a reverse flea flicker against Stanford? The, the trick play on the fourth down the third, yeah, the, the the drop. Play, that the tight end dropped. God, it's just right in his hands. Like, all of those different things. That's what I'm going to remember. I've never seen a team like that. I've never seen a team that's able to win in such consistently excruciating at times frustrating fashion. Um, There was Damon Stoudemire coaches, Georgia tech, Georgia tech beat UNC this week. And I saw an interview. It was a, from before the game where Damon Stoudemire goes, the thing is I got a weird team. I love my team, but I got a weird team and there's a little bit of, like that's kind of except Washington was a great team, is a weird team, but it was an absolutely great team. And the way it ended and what happened after the season ended shouldn't shouldn't overshadow what that was like cheering for those players or or how you feel about what the players did last season.
0: Well, I, first of all, I thank you very much. I appreciate your uh, your kind words and and assessment. Um, it was I kind of reflecting myself some just on my my own venture and work this year one of the first pieces of advice you get when you're a beat writer especially covering football it's a little bit different when it's baseball there's 162 games but like when you're covering football it's pretty common for someone to tell you like hey you should write about every game like it's a chapter in the season and you know don't get so granular that it's just in the vacuum this one game try to try to you know paint a broader context I can't think of covering a season where like that was easier to do than this one. Like it really felt like it just each week felt like its own kind of story, but also pieced together really seamlessly with the rest of the season. It, it almost in a way that felt it like it felt scripted. It was so, you know, with all the close games and the drama and the the different heroes, right? Me, you mean, you mentioned Mish Powell is, the hero in in one game you've got these distinct superstars Penix and odunze and and they make their plays all the time but then you know Grady Gross makes a bunch of big kicks and um Voitunofi has a big sack against USC and and ZTF has a big force fumble against USC and um Quentin Moore catches the the touchdown in the Pac-12 championship game and it's Elijah Jackson who swats away the, the last pass against Texas so you've got all these kind of more secondary role players who also step up in big moments and it came a point where you just kind of assumed they were gonna get it done. And um I don't know. It just looking back at the season really was kind of and it wasn't just because they won every game until the championship. It wasn't just because they went fourteen and one. Like the the season just had a very kind of storybook, almost almost fictitious feel to it. Um and it made it a lot of fun to write about, honestly. I mean I know that's nobody else's concern i'm I'm speaking from a, a different role and, and perspective here but it was just it was just genuinely very fun to witness it and write about it and document it and um cool to do it on on my own and not for a, a company owned by the new york times so um that was it was, it was, uh, it was a fun year. It's, you know, and it's still fun. It's we're, we're not done yet. I launched on March 2nd, so I'm, we're, we're still not at, uh, <laughs> we're just coming up on 11 months here. So who, who knows what else is going to happen here before we hit the one year anniversary. Um, but, uh, yeah, quite the, I just can't, has there been any more newsworthy 12 month period in the history of the program? Ah. Uh not good newsworthy
1: <laughs> if you want to go i would say starting with the revelations about billy joe Hobert's uh camaro from the rocket scientist through the resignation of don james but that was entirely different um no conference
0: realignment that year that's
1: true that's true you have had conference realignment yeah man yeah that's pr- no no there hasn't when you consider the the When you consider factor in the move from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten, no, there's there's never been a more 12. You've had a coaching change, an AD change, a conference change, and they played in the national championship game. Yeah, no. Nope. Nope. Most impactful 12 months in the
0: program's history. Anything you want to plug?
1: On Montlake.com. I mean it. If you're not subscribing, you absolutely should. It is a tremendous product, and... I think that it points toward the future of what good sports journalism will be.
0: Danny made a cameo was uh, kind enough to let me republish his his ethical fans guide to college football. You can check that out too.
1: Did you read any of the reaction to it?
0: I did. I thought it was uh I thought it was good discussion and I I appreciated that you uh you chimed in in the comments. You certainly didn't have to.
1: No, no. I enjoyed the discussion.
0: Um it reminded me of
1: the the audience that I generally write for is broader now, um, and it's also just completely my opinions um, and the the feelings and the and the thoughts about. It, I I could see how some people were like, I did not come here to be told that I should not uh, get mad about people transferring, which wasn't entirely my <laughs> point, but I can understand why people took that took it that way. Uh, it was it, it was very funny. I really enjoyed it.
0: Um, yeah, you so just, I, you, just needed, the you just needed you just needed Muhammad to wind up at Oregon uh to pull you back closer to uh to the the I don't know. I don't know if it's it's regression to the mean or what, but you No, you man. Know you like, know. You could you could
1: think how you're going to feel all you want and that doesn't necessarily dictate how you're going to feel when something happens. Like, that is that is one of the greater truths that I've uncovered in my life.
0: The uh February signing period starts a week from today um obviously washington's got a a couple guys they've got commitments from in 2024 who they will sign excuse me sign the letters that day maybe maybe even a a couple more um coming through between now and then we'll keep you posted and we will talk to you next week oh no 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 i ran through that bull junk you wrote i I ran through that
1: i sifted through all that yeah